Welcome to Healthcare Beat, a healthcare podcast brought to you by Seifarth Shaw's cross-disciplinary healthcare team. Each beat will focus on key industry trends and the latest developments while identifying practical takeaways for those in this space. I'm Adam Lawton, partner in Seifarth's corporate department and host of Healthcare Beat. Let's jump in. Today, we're talking about labor relations in the healthcare industry, and we're joined by a guest, Tom Posey, who's a partner in Seifarth's Los Angeles and Chicago offices and specializes in labor management relations. Tom, just to start us off, what were some of the primary effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on labor relations issues? Thanks, Adam. There were a few specific places where this came up for us both, and I think it's probably easiest to talk about it in the context of it, a union versus non-union employers. On the union side, the first thing we saw was the unions, not surprisingly, coming in to negotiate pandemic-specific terms with employers. So coming in to set up some kind of terms related to safety, so different policies and procedures related to the pandemic and trying to avoid uh, people getting exposure or more exposure than, than they would have to. A lot of issues around PPE and how much of that was available especially early on when N95 masks were at a premium. Separate from safety issues, there were also, which is not surprising, there, there's always issues around pay in labor relations, but here it was more focused on pandemic-specific issues, so temporary hourly increases and in incentives, attendance incentives, because you had a lot of employees saying you know, they, they didn't want to come into work because they were afraid of getting exposed, more in the area of hiring and retention bonuses, in a couple areas, we even saw what was, it wasn't called this, but what essentially amounted to a, almost an infection bonus, where if an employee contracted COVID and was out of work, that there would be some additional pay or bonus that they would receive related to that during the time that they were out. Now, with a union, you're not allowed as an employer to change wages or, or working conditions without negotiating those. And in this instance, the way this was accomplished was usually through some kind of a side letter or some memorandum of understanding, an MOU that would take effect temporarily during the term of the union contract. Now, along those lines, one of the other issues that we saw quite a bit was with CBAs or collective bargaining agreements that were expiring or about to expire when the pandemic first hit. Normally, what happens then is you schedule union negotiations, and you're going to start having usually anywhere from five to maybe 25 meetings but between the union and management to negotiate whatever the next three to five year CBA is going to be. But here on, on both sides, union and management, there was a, a desire to, to push a lot of that back and to avoid having more in-person meetings than were necessary. So in a lot of instances, we saw contracts that were expiring were just basically kicked down the road for a year. So anywhere from 12 to 18 months, those contracts were extended, either with the terms that were already in place, just rolled right over, or in some instances, again, working in some of these pandemic-specific issues with these side letters or MOUs that we were talking about. Separate from all of that, in the non-union side, so employers that either don't have any unions in their facilities or maybe they're only partially unionized, so only the nurses or only one group of employees is unionized. There we saw a very heavy focus on recruiting efforts from the unions. And then there were two issues in particular that we really saw a lot of 
activity from the unions on that they used a lot of this in their campaigns. The first one, again, especially early in the pandemic, was the PPE issue. You had some facilities at one nursing negotiation. I know one of the issues that the union had raised that was helpful in their organizing campaign was that the nurses were apparently having to use their N95 masks 15, 20 times before they were getting a new one. And so that was something the union really latched onto as a focus for those employees to say, well, that's why you need us to come in and represent you. Staffing was also a big issue on the union organizing side because of all the shorting, the staffing shortages, especially in the nursing area, the unions were able to really highlight that and say, listen, if we were here, we'd be able to negotiate higher starting rates and supposedly better terms for the employees that would make it more attractive for the employer's recruiting efforts. So the pandemic really had a, a pretty significant impact on both the union and non-union employers in the industry for different reasons. So now we're a year or more deep into this and we're already starting to see, you know, quote unquote, normal economic and business processes returning, the infection rates are going down, hospitalizations are in decline, vaccinations are increasing. How are all of these changes and the, the, you know, again, quote unquote, return to normal affecting labor management relations and activities? So let's look at that in the context of the union versus non-union facilities again. On the unionized facility side, all of those extended CBAs that were kicked for a year, a year and a half, added to their terms, those are now expiring again. And rather than just rolling those over or extending them further, many employers are seeing the unions now saying, okay, we're, we're ready to come back and renegotiate those contracts. And when they do, the two biggest things we're seeing there is first, not surprisingly, a, a push to maintain all those economic incentives that were negotiated early in the pandemic. So any of those attendance incentives, any extra pay for, for different shifts, retention bonuses, one of the easiest things for the unions to do, which they are doing quite a bit now, is saying, all right, everything that was put in place, let's just keep all of that in place, even as the pandemic hopefully tapers off. Another big focus is, again, in the staffing area, there's a, a very hard push in, in a number of states from a number of different unions against the use of agency and temp staffing. Now that, again, from an employer's perspective, is, has been very difficult because of all the staffing shortages. The unions now trying to take advantage of that are really pushing for even stricter limitations than you might have had or adding limitations if there weren't any before on the extent and the degree to which you can use agency staff or, or temporary staffing. As that's happened, we've also seen more activity at those unionized facilities, a lot of informational pickets where the union has employees out with picket signs saying, be fair to your frontline workers, those kind of things. That you didn't see much of during the pandemic because I, I think a lot of employers responded pretty quickly to the changes that the unions were looking for and some of those staffing and compensation issues. But now from the union side, they know that they're gonna have to try and put more pressure on the employers to keep those things in place or at least keep some of them in place as the pandemic is, has gone on longer and is, is hopefully again tapering off. On the non-union side, the organizing efforts have continued at, at a pretty strong clip. And one of the reasons that's 
been going so hard is because of Zoom organizing. Prior to the pandemic, there was virtually no organizing being done via video. So you would have the unions would come in, they'd put flyers uh, out on employees' cars in the parking lot or have a couple of sympathetic employees in the facility who would hand out flyers to their coworkers that would say, union informational meeting, come learn about SEIU and what we can do for you at a, a meeting at a restaurant or a bar next week. Well, obviously, with the pandemic and all the lockdowns, you couldn't do that. But one thing that the unions took advantage of, and frankly, I think did a pretty good job of, was getting people to attend those kind of meetings remotely via Zoom or other video platforms instead of in person. And they were able to get some traction doing that, I, I think, in large part because Zoom and these other video platforms have become so normalized over the last year and a half that that's no longer viewed as doing something that's unique or out of the ordinary. And the unions have really focused on that and, and continued, even as we're getting back to more in-person meetings, to doing that video organizing. Now, one other legal change that's happened as a result of the pandemic and also of the recent election is that there is in the NLRB a, a much stronger labor focus than management focus right now. So I, I think a lot of the decisions we've seen from the NLRB over the last few years, some of those are going to be overturned or reversed and moving in a more union-friendly rather than management-friendly direction. But another big change, which was a direct result of the pandemic, was that union organizing campaigns, so the election campaign and then the eventual vote to decide whether or not you want to become unionized, those are happening almost exclusively now by mail ballot elections, which is a huge change from the way things have been for decades. Uh, up until now, normally when a union is organizing and they have an election, that's going to happen in person. So you're going to have an actual ballot box in the facility and over the course of a day or a couple days, depending how big the facility is and how many shifts there are, you're going to have employees come in and drop their ballot into the box. Now, this is being done almost exclusively through mail ballot elections. So the NLRB mails ballots out to all the eligible employees, and then it's up to them to fill out the ballot, mail it back in by the election deadline. That's been a boon for the unions because, in general, there's less participation in a mail ballot election, and that less participation generally means people who are either indifferent or not in favor of the union often don't bother to send back a ballot. They just think, all right, this doesn't affect me. I don't care about this. I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. So that more of the ballots coming back are going to be from the pro-union folks, the ones who were in support of the organizing campaign. They're more likely to send those ballots back. And as a result, that's kicking the union success rates up even higher in these elections than they would be if these were happening in person. So some, some pretty dramatic differences that we've seen in the industry over the course of the last 14 or 15 months from, from the labor perspective. Tom, you've given us several great examples of things that are going on in the healthcare industry. Are there any other special issues related to healthcare and labor relations that may have come about in the past year or so? So I I think there's there's really probably the the PPE and, and staffing related issues are are the two that we've seen in the healthcare industry that have had the biggest impact. 
Now the, the PPE issue that was early on, but the, the staffing issue really appears to be the one that's, that's going to stick with us here as we go forward, that that's going to be a, a major focus uh, for the unions, even more so than it's maybe has been in the past, both on the organizing side and for the employers that already have unions. So that's one area where I think the, the nursing shortages and staffing issues are, are going to be really a front and center for a lot of the negotiations as we go forward. Just wrapping up, maybe we can ask you to polish off your crystal ball and say, what sorts of things do you expect in the next year or two and how can businesses help prepare themselves for any labor-related disruptions? I think two areas we are going to want to keep an eye on is first, I think there's going to be very aggressive union organizing campaigns and that's during these continued mail ballot elections with the NLRB. So that's, that's really going to change the landscape some for how union organizing is happening and, and whether and how much the unions are going to be successful. So from an employer's perspective, one thing you have to be prepared to do and and make sure that you and your representatives are well versed in is, is organizing efforts via zoom. So there's, there's been a lot of work over the last year or so from a number of different unions, again, in, in multiple states to do this zoom organizing. So, if there is remote organizing and then an election petition gets filed, employers need to be ready to do all this remotely and presumably have a mail ballot election, which is very different from a live campaign. So you're gonna have to be doing a lot of remote interaction with your employees during that campaign. And the the NLRB actually just issued another decision, I believe it was last Friday, that said, hearings before the NLRB are also going to continue to be remote. So not just the elections and submitting your ballot, but even if, if you've got objections to what happens during an election or, or you want to raise any issues, that's all going to have to be done remotely as well. So that's, that's really going to change the way we do this probably for some time, I would expect for years probably going forward. One other area for employers that are already working with unions that have a unionized workplace is to be cautious of of entering into long-term collective bargaining agreements now. There's understandably a a lot of employers who are saying, all right, we we still don't know how this is all going to pan out. We don't know what things are going to look like six months or one year or two years from now. And it's even harder to predict that than it's been in the past. So one thing to consider as you go back into negotiations or if you're in negotiations now is that you may not want to enter an agreement as long as the three to five year agreements you've entered into in the past because you just may not be able to lock yourself in for that long with all the unknowns that are are still out there. Related to that, all of these economic and operational benefits that would come from ending these incentives that are in place, so some of these pandemic-related incentives, while there's certainly a motivation to change those, that's going to have to be balanced against whatever potential costs you have of entering into these longer agreements. So again, it's, it's going to come back to really just trying to be a little more cautious going into this next 12 to 24 months because there's so many unknowns out there so that whatever union contract you sign, that you're, you're not locked into terms that are going to be too restrictive or 
cause too many operational problems over the next year or two. We'd really like to thank Tom for all of his time and expertise on today's episode. Thank you for joining us today for another edition of SciFarts Healthcare Beat Podcast, bringing you the latest developments and pressing issues in healthcare. So you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to visit SciFarts.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or SoundCloud. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. We look forward to having you with us again soon.